This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents, which you can also access at cortezcurrents.ca. A panel discussion featuring Suzanne Samarit, Zipporah Berman, and Paul Stamets was one of the highlights of the Children's Forest AGM on January 28th. The topics ranged from finding an effective way to communicate with industry to a proposed research collaboration on Cortez Island. This is an abridged version of that segment, starting with the introduction Forrest Berman Hatch gave for his mother. Sapora Berman. She has been an environmental activist, campaigner, and strategist for over three decades. She first rose to prominence during the Clackwood Sound blockades in the early 90s, where she was eventually charged with 857 counts of criminal aiding and abetting. <laughs> Those blockades would be the largest act of civil disobedience in Canadian history until it was surpassed by the Ferry Creek blockades last year, where Zipporah was also arrested over two decades later, this time as a protester in the road rather than as the organizer. Uh, after Clackwit, she co-founded Forest Ethics, now called Stand.Earth, and then campaigned to protect the Great Bear Rainforest. Today, she works on climate change as the founder and chair of the Fossil Fuel Non-Proliferation Treaty and an international campaign to get governments to commit to ending the production of fossil fuels. She moved to Cortez in 2003, and she lives on Gunflint Lake, where she is known for raising two notably handsome sons. And her work has been acknowledged by a number of prestigious awards. For example, she holds an honorary doctorate from UBC, and her apple pie won first place at the Linnea Farm Festival, not once, but (laughs) two years in a row. She's also my mom, so hi, mom. Welcome. Hi, Forrest. Thank you. That's a first. I feel like it's come full circle or something to have my son introduce me in this forum. It's so nice to see everybody. Thank you so much. And really, it's so fun to look at the screen and just see everyone and think of all of your incredible work. What an honor to be with you. I was thinking as I was listening to you, Suzanne, that one of the things we learn from nature and from human rights struggles around the world, but also Indigenous peoples is around persistence. I think back to, I think it was Christine and Carrie and Bruce that first brought the idea of Children's Forest. And we started talking about it at Linnea and, and the kids were running or crawling around us as toddlers. So it's just an amazing thing to see all of you here today and to see Cortez bringing in all of these incredible experts. We're still here. We're still doing it. And the forest is still standing. We're already a model. I can remember when I first moved to Cortez, there was some logging proposed and I went and met with the logging company. I knew many of the people in the logging companies. It was either Macblow or or Warehouser. And they said, yeah, well, I mean, you know, it's labeled on all our documents as socially inoperable. And it was the first time I had ever heard the term socially inoperable. That is because for decades before, certainly I ever got there 20 years ago, already the community had been for decades standing up against industrial logging on Cortez. I tell that story a lot around the world when other communities come to me and say, what do we do? Let's talk about how you can become socially (laughs) to those outside forces and industrial loggers. Paul Stamets is also here with us today. He is a world-renowned medical researcher, advocate of medicinal fungi, and entrepreneur. On island, he is famous for wearing a much-coveted mushroom hat, but rumors of a mycorrhizal fungi network and his magnificent beard are as of yet unconfirmed. So maybe we can get to the bottom of that tonight. But In the public sector, Paul is the industry leader in the fields of fungi habitat and medicinal use. 
His scientific work has been influential to both fields of mycology and ecology. His understanding of habitats as having immune systems has shaped how many research in both fields understand ecosystem resilience. He's also the author of six books, including Mycelium Running. And as a speaker, he has lectured around the world to expand human consciousness to the intricacies and depth of organisms that exist beneath the very earth on which we walk. He's also been a steadfast advocate for the better management and restoration of the forest ecosystems in which his beloved fungi flourish. At Hope Mon Cortez, Paul is known as the island's resident arch druid of all human fungi relations. So we are honored to have him here. And thank you for being with us today, Paul. Wow. <laughs> I didn't expect this. Zapora, you must be so proud. And Forrest, you must be so proud as well. I'm just going to speak very, very briefly. I grew up also in the woods, but it was the deciduous woods of Ohio. And whenever I could escape my family, almost five days a week, I'd be in the woods and with my twin brother. It just really left a deep impression. But I had no clue about the enormity of the woods until I moved out to Washington State when I was about 17 years of age. Bruce and Andy are here, and we share the fact that we also were in the logging community. I set chokers, and I was a rigging slinger with a company in Darrington, Washington. I was young, long-haired, and they tried to break me, which I just thought would be better exercise. They put me on skylines, and then three guys in my crew got killed and they wanted me to be the hooker which is the top dog in the crew and I decided I want to go back to college nevertheless I met people that even though they were logging they loved the forest they wanted to protect the steelhead streams they got sold a bill of goods that the environmentalists were the enemy but in fact the logging companies often would break young men and women's bodies by the time they're 35 and then abandon them there was a lot of unfortunate propaganda against environmentalists who were really looking at sustainability and also sustainability of the local economies. So I don't think we should vilify loggers as being the enemy. I think the policies and the propaganda from these companies demonizing environmentalists has created a chasm that is unnecessary and one that needs to be mended. So from my work, and I spent 90% of my time on Cortez, I have an hour work from it for two years. I came across the border two years ago, and then five days later, the border got closed. So I was happily trapped on Cortez, which I consider to be my home now. I have a place in Washington State, but I just don't feel a connection in Washington State. I feel a deep connection to the Cortez community. Andy McKinnon is also here, and Suzanne, and even though we are schooled in academia, I think empirically, there's an enormous well of knowledge under every footstep that we take. And there's a lot of crosstalk between these organisms and genomically. And this inner species molecular communication grid, this matrix, we have a sense now that has enormous innate intelligence. And still Neanderthals with nuclear weapons. We're now having a vision through Suzanne's work and Andy's work and many others here that this life that we live on this forested island is a treasure that we want to preserve and protect. It's an island of old-growth forests that need to be protected, but it's also an island of an ethos of people. And the ecosystem of our forests is tied directly to the ecosystem of our mental health. 
and being able to see a vision that we can carry forward to demonstrate, as Suzanne and others have mentioned, a way for the rest of the world. We're a beacon of light in a fog of confusion, even in academia. I have a phrase I like to use, and it's been helpful in my life. We need to find ecologically rational and economically sustainable solutions. Because as idealistic as we can be, if it's not economically sustainable in a capitalistic system, it will only be an ideal that's never put into practice. We have to navigate very carefully how do we survive in this state of the economy that values quick returns, short-term gains, that does not value the quality of the ecosystem for its spiritual and the psychological value, and not just in terms of timber board feet of lumber. That's the metric we need to turn upside down. And we need to do it in a way that is economically sustainable so we can make the argument. It is not a level playing field. The playing field is weighed against us by the economics of the timber industry. The challenge that I think that we collectively face and we need to help create and communicate is how we give ecological value beyond timber board feet of lumber and a forest ecosystem that's measurable and translatable and can be argued in the economics that such that those who are wedded to the old system can be incentivized to come on board with this vision. Thank you, Paul. It's all pretty fascinating. A lot of great speakers tonight. I think if you both have any questions for Dr. Samard, now is a great time to begin that section. Sure. I'll jump in. I was thinking today, Suzanne, that given your really incredible knowledge of forest ecosystems, but also your lived experience as part of a forestry family and community, I'm wondering what's one thing that you wish more civil society advocacy campaigns around forest forest protection and forestry did or one thing we would do or say differently because with your knowledge I think there's probably been some cringeworthy moments as you watch the campaigns there must be a time when you thought to yourself oh if only they what is it that's such a great question (laughs) thanks I love the forest as much as all campaigners love the forest. I worked for a forest company when I was in my 20s. And I came from a forest logging family. I came from rough and ready people that were just trying to make a living and feed their families. I wanted to be on the front lines with Yuzapora, but I was doing research for forestry and very conflicted about all of it and wondering what's my role in this? I could see both sides. And I think that the idea of healing the people comes with healing the planet. And like Paul was saying, the loggers actually want the same thing. My grandfather wanted to protect the forest too, and my uncles. And um, So how do you actually get there? It's not like I had any magic answers, but I see now And this will be the anathema of some people's thinking. But in order to play in the game and have a role in the balance of power, and the power lies in the people that have got the industries and the money, 
is to actually put a value on what we're trying to protect so that at least it can get in the balance instead of being ignored. It's so easy for it to be ignored when we actually put a value, like for the children's trust to buy the forest is putting a value on that forest or to put a value on carbon pools. That's a game changer. Instead of fighting to conserve and preserve, to have the forest as part of our well-being economy, that people can be all be part of this. That doesn't have to be an us versus them thing. It can be more or less look at the balance of value here. So if there was one thing, it would be let's get on and put a value on these forests so that we can actually have a meaningful debate and fight over what we prioritize. Because I think that the industry will always win to a certain degree because they have the money. They've taken the resources. And so we've got to play that game. Does that make sense, Sapora? For me, and watching how things are moving now, that I actually see hope that we can actually shift that balance because we're putting a value on things like carbon stocks and, and giving rights to rivers and nature. When you start putting those values on it, then there's more to argue for. I'd like to hear your thoughts yeah. on that. I think you're right. Some of the papers that are coming out now internationally, which are looking at values from an economic perspective of that which was previously considered in our economic system an externality, <laughs> water, clean air, clean water, biodiversity. At first, I have to be frank, it made me cringe. I think it does for a lot of us because I believe that there is inherent value and that our current economic system is a huge part of the problem. But what you're saying is, in a lot of ways, we also have to be pragmatic that that's the system that is threatening. It. And if we don't play in it at all, then we, we're leaving the playing field to others. For a lot of us as forest activists, that has been the essential dilemma participating then in the capitalist system and in a system that is threatening and doesn't recognize inherent value. So we avoid it. But by doing that, then you're always on the outside. Some of you know that I spent a lot of time both on the outside and on the inside negotiating with the logging companies in order to stop the logging, the majority of the industrial logging in Clackwood Sound, as well as in significant areas of the Great Bear Rainforest. Um, that was hard work. It was soul sucking. <laughs> and I was attacked by a lot of people within the conservation movement for doing it. There are no easy answers here. But I think part of what we need to be doing is to be behind time until the revolution is complete, until this generation is creating the rules. Because what gives me hope is that they connect all the issues. When I talk to Mia, to Kara, to Forrest, to others of their generation, they don't see these issues as separate. They understand, they see an intersectionality of social justice and economic justice and racism and environmental issues in a way that I think my generation didn't. And we're learning from them every day. The systems that they're going to be creating as adults, I think, are going to be different. In the meantime, I have a mantra, whether I'm working on pipelines or forest conservations, and that's delay is our friend. 
right now, there is so very little left. If in order to get that delay, we have to participate in that system, then that's great. I think we are changing the system by pushing to have other values that were externalities recognized within that system as well. I'm wondering if Paul has a question as well, or if you would just like to weigh into the conversation. Well, Suzanne, I'm not up to speed with all of your work, but has the species map been generated? I know we have collected several hundred species over the years teaching at Hollyhock, but do we have a biological species map of the entire island in terms of fungi, plants, and the amount of lichens? There was a lichenologist that came up to the island and apparently in two days could not get more than 50 feet (laughs) because there were so many species. That's what I heard. I know it was maybe exaggerated, but not that exaggerated. As we know, the abundance of the species of lichens that we have in mosses, the bryophytes on the island, is just astonishing. I'm just wondering, is anyone spearheading that? Not that I know of. I think there's going to be a bio blitz that will make some progress on that, but I don't think it's been done anywhere. Honestly, but, to do the full documentation of the species that you're talking about from in the well, soil think, all the way up to the I think about media, yeah. I think about marketing, I think about how to communicate. Wouldn't it be wonderful if Cortez became the first island in British Columbia that had a whole genomic sequence of the entire ecosystem to express the wealth of biodiversity in that context could help people understand how important it is to protect integrated systems that are mutually dependent upon each other and humans living sustainably within that system. I think that type of messaging would be remarkable and in and of itself would be useful, not only to the community, but to show the world that all of you to protect genomic diversity. What is your genomic biodiversity? I think that would be a wonderful project and I'd love to support it. Yeah, Cortez Island could be the pilot for doing that, but it's only recently that we've had the tools where we've been able to do metagenomic analysis like that of the soil, the forest floor of all the creatures. And so we're at the scientific forefront of that. We have that capability. And I'll just add too that I know in our previous discussions, and Robin will probably nod her head at this, there are people in high economic places who are talking about stewardship units or high quality carbon credits or high quality ecological credits, if you will, that would include not just carbon, but also the biodiversity and the social diversity and social equity in communities that you can actually account for and map and track. And you can actually put a value on that. Once you have the numbers and you put a value on it, then you can make comparisons and you can trade things. You can trade off values if you want. I think that we have the capability of doing that. And Cortez could be the first place to do that. I see in the chat from Robin. Robin, would you care to elaborate on Galeano Island? Yes, I'm not sure about the details, but I did read that they were doing a big bio blitz and they had a lichenologist and they were trying to do that. Risa Smith lives there and she's been the main author of the Canadian Biodiversity Reports. Be good to check back with them and see where they're at with it. Children's Forest has done lots of maybe smaller scale bio blitzes as well. I think I might even remember Christine leading those when we were really small. 
The one place that wouldn't be possible is the whole soil ecosystem, which is where the vast amount of biodiversity is. And now we have the capability of taking samples and doing metagenomics on it. The above ground biodiversity is just a small part of that huge biodiversity. And then to look at the correlations between that diversity and the functions of it and the productivity of these ecosystems and all the cycles that are dependent on that, you could do that kind of thing. There was an international fungal group who was looking for a research site in British Columbia. So we might want to cycle back to those folks because they were all over the world and they were very interested in British Columbia. So Paul and Suzanne, I'll make sure you get their contact. A number of people on the call had additional comments. Andy McKinnon from BC Big Tree said, I've noted in the chat, the Institute for Multidisciplinary Ecological Research in the Salish Sea, initiated by Andrew Simon and others, which is actually in part a network of different islands and small communities that have been conducting biodiversity inventories. That's a group I think that Cortez would certainly want to touch bases with. They're doing some very interesting work and a chosen biodiversity project is a component of IMERS. That's one place to check out. Donna Collins from Wild Cortez added, One thing is that Cortez Island does have a list of all kinds of species, whether it's subtitle or intertidal, also um, birds and everything. It's getting to be quite a thick binder. Now that's not mapping, but that is listing everything that's on Cortez Island that we've discovered so far. Sabina Lederbentz has a researcher come and use our facilities at Wild Cortez. He was a bryologist and he added enormously to this list. Just something that I thought I'd put out there. I would like to be part of this group and know about it. I'm one of the curators of the Wild Cortez, and currently we're planning on doing an exhibit on the mother tree. So anything anybody can send to me would be wonderful. Sutter Johnson said, I'll jump in with a multi-question for Paul and Suzanne. Paul, I had an opportunity to tour your research center that you're creating on Cortez and Research and Education Center, which is kind of mind-blowing and beautiful. And Suzanne is creating with the Mother Tree Network a research and education hub on Cortez. I was just wondering, is there a tie-in? Reading both of your work, there's so much that overlaps. I'm just curious if you've talked about this before or if there's a synergy (laughs) there for the two of you to work together with the infrastructure, Paul, that you're building and Suzanne, the students that you're bringing. And particularly if there's a tie-in with high school students at the Cortez Island Academy and the energy. So I just, I'm wondering if you've already talked about that and if not, whether there's an opportunity offline for the two of you to connect and explore overlapping interests on Cortez. Well, I think we're two peas in the same pod. So (laughs) as long as there's beer involved, I'll participate for sure. (laughs) Yeah, for for sure. And just last week in the United States, we received our 503C status for the CEC, which is a Center for Ecological Consciousness, by nonprofit idea, which is a play on in my breakthrough and and helping bees survive colony collapse, 
was because I'm a beekeeper and a mycologist. And that then intersection of skills led me to an insight that was unprecedented in academic research that bees go to mycelium for immunological benefit against viruses. And so we want now to get a charitable status in British Columbia. And then through my own networks, I can funnel money through the CEC to the Children's Forest, et cetera. We're very passionate about this. Chris Kantrovitz is one of the people behind the CEC as well. He's online. So I see a great collaboration potential between the Children's Forest, the Mother Tree, the CEC. This is where the vast majority of whatever assets I have is going to this nonprofit to get lichenologists and mycologists and ornithologists together with their graduate students and then have an overlap of a week or two on Cortez where they then see where their skill sets can create insights into ecosystem wisdom that have escaped us because we're in our silos of specialities. And it's only when we have these interfaces between our disciplines that we see crossover applications that may not have been apparent had we not gotten physically together as well as intellectually. I'm excited about that. Yeah, I'm all in with Paul. It would be great to work together with Paul. And I think we would we would make a great collaboration. Let's do it. You were here when it happened, folks. The start of that collaboration. You've been listening to an abridged version of the expert panel discussion featuring Suzanne Samard, Sapora Berman, and Paul Stemitz from the Children's Forest AGM on January 28, 2023. This is Roy Hales with Cortez Currents. Goodbye. <laughs>